Welcome, everybody, to episode 38 of The Hopeful Majority. If you're new to the show, every Monday, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content. Today, I've got on probably one of the most interesting and unique conversations we've ever had on the podcast because it's from somebody and it's with somebody that has no political professional experience. It's somebody that has a fascinating platform. They do sports and they have literally nothing to do with our politics and all of that. They're just an interested, engaged citizen that's got some thoughts. Coach Ferber, he coaches baseball. He places high-performing baseball athletes into the professional leagues, into college scholarships. And you're like, Manu, why are we talking to Coach Ferber? The reason why we're talking to Coach Ferber is because I think that one of the core hypotheses of the hopeful majority is that most people in the country, especially those that are not engaged or hyper-political nerds, they're just everyday folks that have amazing careers or they're getting through their life. I think that most folks in this country want a world in which we can disagree productively, where we're not judging each other to the point of punity, the, the, the place where we can actually have conversations across lines of political difference, a place where we have nuanced and complex identities where our beliefs don't neatly fit into the red block box or the blue box or the Trump box or the Biden box. I think most people in this country are interested in hearing debate, are interested in, in the fact that their lives are different. And so their ideas don't neatly fit into a framework of thinking. And Coach Ferbs, Coach Ferber, I took his permission to call him Ferbs, is somebody that is highly accomplished in his life and yet He's got a perspective that I think most Americans share. And I wanted to have this conversation on two axes. The first is to get an understanding of what somebody that is relatively informed in our country uh, thinks about our politics, but doesn't have the ideological filter on how do they approach the world, especially in this 2024 election year. And the second reason for this conversation is how do we actually build a world in which we can overcome our differences, not for some kumbaya, let's hold our hands, unity nonsense, but to actually build a culture in which we incentivize and reward nuanced thinking, where we reward complexity, where we don't put people into boxes and operate on our tribal identities. This is a conversation that I think you'll be find fascinating. And normally I do a monologue before the interview or the conversation, but this time I want you to go straight into the conversation because I think it speaks for itself. So with that, let's welcome Coach Ferber to the Helpful Majority. Ferbs, welcome to the podcast, bro. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Hey, so everybody's everybody's already wondering uh, why we're talking and the context for this. I want to give. I was thinking about what's the best way to start this conversation, and you and I have already been chatting it up before we got before we went live. But I was thinking about how to t give people the context, and it was that you and I were playing poker, and we were we're sitting next to each other, and someone for some reason I think asked me like what I do for work, and I talked a little bit about what we do. And you immediately chimed in and we started talking and you've got a fantastic career and you're doing a lot of interesting stuff. It has nothing to do with politics. And that is particularly why I was like, we've got to bring on Ferbs to the podcast because people have to hear the, the stories and experiences of non-political professionals about what they think about our country. So I appreciate you making the time. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I, I mean, I always like to network and share share ideas with, with, with people. And you seem like an interesting character yourself. You, you know, you seem like uh, when we were talking uh, and, and I was just listening to what you do, I was like, you know, trying to, to, to get people to listen um, and just, you know, give give like 
feedback, but just in a, in a neutral way, it's tough these days because everybody has an opinion and it seems like the people that shout the hardest sometimes get the, get the most coverage or the people listen to them the most. But uh, I feel like everybody's got a story and, you know, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of parallels we're going to find between sports, baseball, what I do and what you do. So before we, I already had a question for you, which is like, why do you think the people that shout the loudest get the most coverage? And I already want to jump on some stuff, but let's actually give people some context. So what is it that, that, that you do when people look you up, coach Ferber, they're going to see some fascinating stuff. So what is it that you actually do? So I work with some of the top um, baseball players in the country. Uh, I start with them when they're younger in about ninth grade, usually when they get on the big field and I take them through high school and I try to navigate them through the recruitment process for college. Yeah. So that's where it first begins is um, obviously, you know, trying to match up their academic profile with their physical skill set and tools. And then obviously their personality, because that plays a big part and try to get them matched up with uh, colleges, whether it's, I have guys that, in Ivy league guys that are at Columbia, right. And, 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 and those type of schools, I have uh, guys that are in military schools, West Point yeah. Academy. And these, I have guys that are in the sec, ACC, big time programs, Vanderbilt, um, you know, did you, LSU, did you, did you play baseball? Did you play baseball growing up? Like why baseball? I did. I did grow baseball. I, I played okay. baseball growing up. I think why baseball? It's a good question is that I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I was born in Coney Island. I'm a Puerto Rican Jew for, for anybody else from Coney Island. They used to call me Juan Epstein back in the day. All right. <laughs> so, 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 so when I was growing up, um, I was, I, I was born in 1977. I'm 46. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be 47 this year. Uh, if I got my numbers right, sometimes you, you forget how old you are when you're 40. You'll see, Manu. You'll start, you'll start waiting. I'm, I'm counting every year right now. I'm counting every year. Yeah. Every, so, every amount matters. <laughs> when I was, when I was growing up, um, it was in the early 80s. It was in the 80s. I'm an 80s kid, I guess you would call it, in, in, in Brooklyn. And back at that time, it was, a, it was a crack epidemic. And that was, you know, so, so in Coney Island, it was, it was, I would say, not the ideal place for, um, to, to, to raise a kid without seeing some suffering, you know, seeing some uh, pain from people and things like that. But there was also so many other things that go along with that, because when you're surrounded by, uh, people that, you know, are obviously suffering or in pain or, or things that she, guys that are dealing drugs, gangs, uh, my family was on welfare personally. Um, I, I had, did, did your uh, my, family, did your, did your family immigrate from Puerto Rico or, and, and my, which part of my, it was Jewish? Yeah. My, 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 so my, my father was, his family was, um, Ashkenaz, like, like Russian yep. Jews yep. and like Eastern, Eastern Europe. Um, my mother actually, um, she came here, she was born, her family, she was born, they were all both born here in Brooklyn, in New York. Okay. And, 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 and so, um, what what happened i feel like in in what when i was growing up is that when you looking for your identity as a young yeah. kid you're trying to figure out where you fit in right and so there's all these little subsections and groups of people that i was growing up there was the break dancers right break dancing was just big uh, crazy legs and a rock steady crew and those guys so i tried Did they have boom dancing. boxes did they have of boom boxes and everything Yes, yeah, Spike Lee yeah. do, do the right thing and all yeah. that stuff. If you watch those movies, it was just like that. And and you go on the boardwalk and everybody would go out there and compete. You know, all this stuff is is competing. Whether you were breakdancing or whether you were playing basketball, 
or whether you were playing stickball, which I liked. There was guys that were doing graffiti, right, on okay. trains and things like that. There were guys that were having rap battles, right, and street battles. How, how it, you know, it's all a form of competition. Who's better? And I, I feel like when you're a kid and you're trying to figure out who you are, you generally are drawn to things that you have a knack for, right? And I wasn't, I was an okay break dancer. I mean, I wasn't great. I wasn't elite. I, I was, I was not a good artist. I tried spraying graffiti. Yeah. I wasn't good at it. I, I love the idea of like Jay-Z and Notorious Big and these guys, you know, being able to like come up with a rhyme and spit it out and like think of like, look at your hat and your, and your shirt and where you're from and just make a whole, you know, rap about it. But I couldn't do that either. But I did have a knack for squaring up a baseball. Okay. You know, and, and, and the, okay. the, 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 back then it's wiffle ball and stick ball when you're growing up right. and just in the neighborhood games, when you don't have a lot of money and you, you don't really have a lot of things to hope and, and dream about, I, I wasn't necessarily dreaming like a lot of kids ago, I'm going to be in the big leagues one day. That wasn't, I couldn't think that far. I was just stuck in my little neighborhood. You were you just know? trying but, to hit, you were just, you were just surviving in your specific square and you were trying to make it happen. Yeah. I was trying to somehow figure out like what, what makes me feel good about myself, you know? And so I, my aspiration was literally to just be picked on a neighborhood game. Did you have, did picked, you have siblings? Yeah. I had an older brother. He was three okay. years older than me. And okay. so I, I would play with his friends, right? Cause I was the younger brother. I was the younger brother that they brought to all the games to, if they had an odd number of guys, just throw them in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and he can just, he can just fill it, fill a spot with it. So I got, I got manhandled a little bit as a kid. I got, I got bullied, but not by my brother and his friends. You know, I, I, you know, I think, I feel like everybody gets bullied a little bit as a kid. You know, Look I at me, dude. I was, I was bullied growing up. My I was, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a funny story. I was, uh, so I, I grew up all over the place. I, I, I never lived in a place for more than two years. So I was born in New Jersey. Then I lived actually with my grandparents alone in India. Uh, while my parents lived out here, I came back. I was like this matted haired, like Indian, Indian, like rugrat looking creature. And I show up, I show up to, and then I, and then I move out again to central Jersey. Then I go live in Staten Island, which is like fake New York. Right. And I go out there and I can totally relate to exactly what it is, what you're saying, which is that you don't exactly know who you are. And so you, you try a bunch of stuff to try and figure it out. And, right. and, and part of, part of growing up is getting bullied because that's a, that's a, that's a hell of a way to figure out who you are. It's also tough. It sucks in the moment. And yet, like every time you look, every time I look back at those bullying moments, I'm like, that's what actually helped me solely build the confidence, build the reps. So anyway, keep going. Tell, tell me about, yeah. tell me about as, as you were going through well, what happened. The last point I want you to say about the bullying part of it, which I think yeah. is really interesting. I think that a lot of people look at bullying as it's a bad thing, right? I, I don't tend to look at things in life as this is good or this is bad. I, I stopped doing that because there's so many different things that could be, if I, if I'm late for my plane, it's bad. I have to go to uh, work. I, I, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm late for the plane. I missed my plane. It's bad. Oh, the mm -hmm. plane crashed. Well, I guess it's good. Right. That I missed it. So it, I, I tend not to look at that. But for the bullying stuff, where people are just saying like everything about bullying is bad. I watched this really cool uh, segment from this guy that was a CIA. He was in the CIA and he said a lot of the trainees and things that they were doing was saying that, they looking for people. There's this like really sweet spot of when childhood trauma, bullying, maybe your dad, father was an alcoholic. Maybe, um, you know, girls didn't like you. Whatever it was, you have pimple. It doesn't, whatever kind of childhood trauma you experience being uh, ostracized from a group where it ends up creating winners. Now you mm -hmm. don't want too much of it. 
too much of it becomes, you know, then they find out maybe you, you get the school shooters and people that are really out there. Too little, then you get the kids that are super entitled. They don't know what it is to grind or feel what it's like to, uh, you know, be bullied and have to have to dish it it's out. That and sweet take spot it. of adversity. Yeah, yeah, it's a sweet spot, and 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 and, but it's very common among people that are really successful and winners in life. I was just just to throw that in there. But going back to what we were talking about before, what I was growing up is that um, I was just content with being picked in a neighborhood game because I didn't really have a lot of other aspirations and a lot of other things to be proud of at home. Right. I was wearing hand-me-downs. I would, you know, shop at the Salvation Army or wherever it is we, we, we shopped. It was just, you know, but looking back on it now at the time, it's not fun to be standing in a line waiting for government cheese with, 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 with your mom and, and being poked in front of you. But when everybody around you is pretty poor, you don't really f- know that you're poor. The first time you find out that you're poor is when you actually, when you're a little bit older, 10, 11, 8, 9, 10, 11, you go to a friend's house that actually has money, sit down, eat dinner with them, and you go, wait a second, this is how people live like this? You know, nuclear family, nice sort of structure, people sitting down, eating, like, you know, at yeah. a table, having conversations. You got you have fork and knife, people are one, one hand, one hand, you're, you're not using your hands, you're actually, I, I feel you on that. Let me, let me ask you this, so... The audience probably right now is they're listening. They're like, this is probably one of the most unique conversations we've had because I, I'm asking you to talk about your lifestyle and how you grew up as a kid in the urban cities in the United States and in the 80s. And uh, they're like, what does this have to do with, with politics? And that's actually exactly what's interesting is your story, right? What you're talking about, you've got an identity. You've got a whole lifestyle that has nothing to do with politics and people can relate to that. And so the reason why I want to keep going down this pathway is because I think – Part of what we start have to start doing right now in the media and the news is actually giving people narratives that they can see themselves in because there's a lot more in common between us. So so keep going. So you were you were you were you were seeing what what life was like outside of poverty, and you you got to start to see this is what it can be. Yeah, I, I mean, I started to started to so you start to realize, you know, what are the things that make me feel good about myself? Right. Right. That's what ultimately what we're looking for as young men, as children to say, who am I? What, what, what's my purpose here? Um, If people clap for you when you do something, Hmm. you tend to start practicing a little more. And, you know, kids also, they understand if if adults are lying to them or not. If I put, if me and you both play, if, if, if I play the piano and you play the drums and I'm terrible, trash at the piano and people, and I pull out the piano and start, you know, making terrible noises. People go, please stop doing that. Shut up. You know, yeah. and when you, you, on the other hand, you keep a really good beat and you have a knack for playing the drums and it sounds good. You're on the beat. You can play a song for people that they've heard before. People are like, Hey, my new keep going, man. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and kids feel that, you know what I mean? They feel that energy. So I think that, you know, when, when you keep trying and trying, you finally go, wait, like when I get up to, to the back, this is real energy. People know I can hit a ball really hard, consistently, really far. The mm-hmm. older kids in the neighborhood respect me. I can walk mm-hmm. around and at least it doesn't matter if my father's an alcoholic, if I have a learning disability, if, I'm, if I have ADD, I have all these different things going on. But guess what? This one little area is what, I, what makes me feel good about myself. It gives you so self-worth. Gonna, that's it. And I think that, I think that that's really what, what – sparked my passion Mm -hmm. for coaching now today as I look back on those days a lot of times and a lot of coaches I think will think that the 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 
the point, the purpose of coaching is to create major league baseball players. I used to think that. And then when I started to think back about now, it's, it's about making a kid feel good about himself, giving him a break from, from the things that he's going through at school. Everybody's judging him, right? Mm -hmm. Everywhere he goes, your school teachers are judging you. Your friends are judging you. The girls at school are judging you and all this stuff. Then you go to the baseball field where you finally can just have some peace of mind, enjoy a game you like. And what do you got there? You got a coach that's judging you, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of morphed my coaching style into how can I just make this kid feel like he's give him a break from what he's doing. This is the, the best place you could be on earth. You can't ask for anything more. How do I get him to love practice as much as he loves to play? And that's kind of where, where, where I got into that. Get, get them to feel value. You know, my, my brother's in, um, in, in 10th grade. So he's a, he's 10 years younger than me and he plays basketball and he's got a basketball coach. And one of the things that I've seen is that, in some ways that that basketball coach is actually in some ways a, a real father figure to him because you're learning. It's not just about basketball, but to your point, you're learning the rigors of life. You're learning discipline. You're learning how to get through adversity. They, in some ways, they're just the sounding board. Sometimes I think this dude's a therapist, you know, literally what he hears is all the, all the shit that the kids are going through and helps them get through it. So now that you've got this, you got this career and you've got these kids coming through and you're helping them out. How, what are some of like the common themes that you see be between the kids that are succeeding, the kids that are, that are good baseball players, the kids that are placing themselves in these programs? Wh what do you, what are you seeing? What, what allows you to be like, you know, this type of characteristics, this type of, of mindset is what allows these people to succeed. And these are the folks that struggle a little bit more. The, the kids that are, that I find to be successful and go pretty far at a younger age. They're a little bit tougher. They're a little mm -hmm. bit tougher with dealing with the failure and adversity that we were talking about, um, not getting their way. Um, because baseball, you, you, you're not going to get your way a lot. Those few fleeting moments. That's why everybody remembers when they played baseball, if they did play mm -hmm. for any amount of time, those big, big, huge moments, are pretty much one, some of the only things you remember because there's so few and far between winning a, ch a national championship or having a walk-off home run in front of, you know, all your friends and family. These things are, 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 are the highlights. And then everything else in between is just kind of like a blur of just learning about yourself and who you are. I feel like the kids that, again, like the kids that enjoy practicing as much as they love to play. And um, I, I used to think that, you know, dads that put too much pressure on kids, you know, some ruin their experience and the other dads that, that just sit back, it's better for the kid to do it that way and just figure out what he likes. But I've also seen some things that to, to suggest that having structure and having a dad that's actually pushing you early on, not when you get to 13, 14, you need to want to pick up your bat and your glove and go practice with yourself, with your friends. Right. But mm -hmm. with all the stuff that's out there with practice and development and all this skill acquisition, I will say, I will go on record to say that you could go practice taking batting practice with a professional hitting coach. You could have Mike Trout or Shohei Otani be your professional hit, be your, be your hitting coach. That doesn't guarantee you that you're going to be a, a high level baseball player. It's mm -hmm. a mix of first you have genetics, right? Well, you, everybody has a genetic ceiling that they're born with. And like your genetic ceiling, my genetic ceiling might be like a shot glass, a cup. It's like an empty cup, right? Mine might be a little shot glass. 
Manu, you might have a big seven. So go my my seven genetic 11. ceiling, my genetic ceiling is below the ground. I'm in the basement. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Well, well you yeah. know what I mean. So just <laughs> and and to me, like you know, Aaron Judge and all those guys, they're monsters compared to everybody else. But our mm-hmm. whole goal here, my goal is to we need to just fill out, max out our own genetic potential. We don't have to compare ourselves. I don't play the comparison game with my guys and say, if this guy does this, you should do that. Because I think when you compare people to other people, it just robs them of all their joy, mm. right? They can't, mm. they, they, they can't, it's, it's very hard to enjoy yourself when you're continually comparing yourself to other people. Mm. One of the worst things a parent could say to a young kid is, hey, why can't you, 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 ever, you see how little Johnny over there plays center field? Why, why can't you play more like him? That's like one of the most frustrating thing because i ask children to i ask young kids i say what's 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 the most frustrating thing your parents do like what are the some of the things that really bother you about how they talk to you when you're off the field after the game before the game well if it's a pitcher my dad just yells throw strikes it's like dude i'm obviously trying to throw (laughs) strikes i'm not trying to not and then also that big it comes up a lot the big one is when my when my father compares me to other kids my age Mm -hmm. it really really is like be like jimmy you know, one of the worst things you could do. We, I mean, I think that dads want to use an example, right? Because human, humankind, we, we like to learn by copying, right? So, so, so dads like to use other kids example. I would say, suggest staying far away from that because you want kids to have their own identity. Like we were talking about, it's okay to be unique. It's okay to be yourself. Every one of us has our own way to perform. We all have a special gift or talent. I believe it's just a matter of finding it. It might Mm -hmm. be that it might be basket weaving. You might be the best basket weaver in the world. Right. Might be playing a piano at Carnegie Hall. You might. But I believe there's not anyone out there that doesn't have some type of a knack for something. Hmm. It's just about finding it and developing it. I want to I want to ask you a question about something you brought up, which is about adversity. And it's about both. We talk about the sweet spot of adversity, but also you saying that some of the kids that are really good are the ones that aren't necessarily entitled. They're not like entitled to go and be on the team. They have a process and they're they're executing yes that process. And they also understand that you're probably going to be let down in life because that's inevitable. It's a question of managing that difficulty. Do you think that right now in like broader society, we are developing that mindset of being able to navigate through adversity? It's something that I think a lot about. I I, I in in some ways and this is just my personal opinion is it feels like in some ways people are getting softer. You know what I mean? But I, but I can't, but, but I, I'm a, I'm a nerd right now recording a podcast with glasses saying people are getting softer. Okay. So like, I don't know if I have the claim to that, but, okay. but it feels like there's a softness that's being inculcated in society that we're becoming more delicate and more fragile. Do you see that at all? What, what's your take on, on just how societies is developing people right now, especially young people? Well, I think that people are getting confused with tolerance and softness, right? Like, I think that people should be mm, more, that's more, yeah, more tolerant towards gay people's struggle. I think they should be more tolerant towards um, minority struggles. I think they should be tolerant. But I think when we get into the, the, the problems is when people make mistakes, as we all do, and they're showing the opposite of what tolerance is. If we know, if, if me and you both know that me, that you and I are both going to make mistakes, we understand that we're not perfect. Me and Manu are not perfect. We're, I've made, before I got in this podcast with you, I've already made about 10 mistakes this morning. Right. 
Didn't, didn't, like, didn't, like, have, like having the thinking monkey behind you. If, you, if, you, <laughs> exactly. if you're listening, if you're listening to this, hop over to YouTube and you'll go see Coach Ferb's thinking monkey. What, what does that guy got? He's got blonde hair. Is it? I think it's a, yeah. He's a, he's just. I saw him at the store. He was a, he was a monkey with some. He looked like a smart monkey. I don't know if he's smoking cool. a joiner a joiner or a cigar. I don't know what that is, yeah, but it just but... It, it gives me good thoughts. He makes me feel good about myself. So so uh... <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> but but like no like to the point is, I don't believe that when somebody makes a mistake, especially if they're on camera or something like that, that you need to burn them at the stake. I don't feel like that's happened. I, I'll give you an example. There was a, a broadcaster um, for the Oakland A's that got canceled. They got fired th this year. I think he made a mistake. He was talking about going to visit the Negro league museum. Hmm. And he, 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 by accident, botched the word and used a hard R and said the, the bad N word, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And he had been on the broadcast for a long time. I don't think that when saying, making a mistake in your verbiage automatically classifies you as a racist. I just don't, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I have, I'm a, I'm a Puerto Rican Jew and I've had uh, my whole entire life growing up and later on um a lot of black guys call me the n-word i'm not black hmm. they said it they said it as a friendly tone and how the how they say it right to hmm. me hmm. Uh, I, i'm not black no, there's this there's an interesting thing that you just said there, which is the difference between tolerance and softness and you you brought up this example of of, of this commissioner right and i get what you're saying which is uh, there's certain things that we should criti criticize, but then give people the chance to be better. Like, yeah. like it's, it, it feels like there's this, there's this constant judgment culture. And it's like, rather than let's say, let's say you mess up, let's say you're on the track, right. And you trip and you're on the track. And instead of me giving you the bandaid and saying, Hey, look, you shouldn't step this way. You should step that way. This is your mistake. Here's how you get better. Now run down the track faster. It seems like what we're doing is we're just cutting their legs off and throwing them off the track. And, my question to you is why do you think that is like, why do you think there seems to be, and I don't like to use the word. I don't like to use political words because that's part of the problem in our culture right now. As you say things like cancel culture and suddenly people think when they're here in this conversation, they're like, Oh, this is on the right or this is on the left. Forget yeah. all I'm saying is it feels like we have a very uh, punitive culture where it's like you messed up and you messed up for good and you're intentionally a bad person. Why do you think that is? I think that it just becomes so, um, I guess the right word is even, even when it comes to voting, right. Yeah. It's gotten to, it's gotten to a point. This is actually sad to me. It's gotten to a point where, and, and I have on my team, it's actually a really cool microcosm for what we're talking about here, because I have a national baseball team. That means I got kids from the South, deep South Bible belt. I got kids from the Northeast. I got kids from the middle of the country. I got kids from the West Coast. I have parents that are big time Trump supporters. I have other parents that are super far left progressives. And when they're sitting in the stands, they forget about all that stuff. And we're focused on one thing, winning a baseball game after whatever. So everybody puts their political views aside and they're rooting for the other kid, even if he comes from whatever family or whatever background he comes from, black kids, white kids. Asian kids, Muslim kids, Jewish kids, Catholic kids. Baseball doesn't, it doesn't see, when you're in a game and you're competing against somebody, none of that stuff matters. But one of the things that I find interesting is that 
when you talk about, you know, the, going back to the voting thing, it's like people don't want, if you say I'm voting for Donald Trump, that automatically means that you want to put a beaver hat on and go storm the Capitol. And if you're voting for Joe Biden, that automatically means you want drag queens teaching your first grader, you know, in elementary school, you know, doing things like that. And I just don't think that that's the case. I think that there's I think that you can you can like certain things about certain people and you can identify with certain things with certain groups of people without going all in completely over the top on on any one certain category. And so when when people start saying. I'm not telling you who I'm voting for. I'm not even going to discuss it anymore. I'm not telling you who I'm. I used to say, hey, it used to be a conversation, right? Manu, hey, who are you voting for? Oh, I like this guy. Oh, cool. Now it's like, if you say it, it's an automatic argument. Why? I don't get that. You know why this this show is called the Hopeful Majority? So I was a uh, I was on a road trip from Austin to Boston. This is 2021. So drove from Austin to Boston, went through you know Louisiana. Uh, Mississippi, Alabama, drove up north, east coast, went through South Carolina, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., and then end up in Boston. And to your point, you, know, you visit all parts of society. And one of the things I found, whether it was conservative pastors in Georgia, black activists, you know, in Louisiana, uh, uh, super liberal college students in Austin, was that I think most people in the country believe exactly what you just said which is forget their politics, forget where they stand, left, right, doesn't matter whether they voted for all of the different presidential candidates we've had on this podcast, you name it. I think most people are in this hopeful majority of people in the country where they're like, one is we got to solve our problems. Two is we got to stop judging each other so viciously. And three is can we give each other the chance to be better so that we can solve our problems? And my job essentially is I think to figure out how to elevate the majority of people that believe that above the really vocal extremes. And I'm sharing that with you because I want your advice on how you think we should go about that. Because almost everybody I talk to, and that's why I wanted you to come on, almost everybody I talk to that isn't a political professional says almost what you just said. And I don't even know who you vote for. I'm sure I don't know who the people I talk to vote for, but they all believe in that. So well, how, do I we, vote, how do we fix it? Well, it starts with I vote for whoever I believe is going to help our country the most, regardless if they're a Republican or a Democrat. I don't care. I'll tell you. I mean, it, I voted for George Bush. I voted for Bill Clinton. I voted for Obama. I voted for Republicans and Democrats in my lifetime. I think that's one. You're independent minded. I voted for whoever I think is the good candidate. I don't just say, you know, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. Therefore, I don't even care. I'm not going to listen to what anybody says on the right at all. And I'm just going to vote Democrat blindly. I don't care who the who, who, who the guy is because I have these five things in a row that I believe in and I'll, I'll, I'll go to the grave with them. I think, you you know, as people, I have to be willing to adapt to what the current situation is. I have to be willing to think on my own. I don't want to be, I don't want to be pigeonholed into a group. I don't want, I want to be myself. And I tell my players this all the time. That's what we were just talking about comparing and, and different things that, was, that, that I don't agree with it. And I don't think anybody ever gets anywhere with comparing it. Using somebody as a barometer to where you want to get to. Well, I just saw that guy with a nice Lamborghini. I'd like to get one. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But 
when I'm sitting there obsessing about it and comparing myself to that person and, and, and you know, and it's occupying too much of my mind, I think that's where we get in trouble. So I think also the last point I was going to, I want before I forget that was, I thought was important is that um, all, when we talk about making people softer and you saying, is it softer? I don't know if it's, some people want to say, well, no, we're more educated. So we're getting mm. more polished. So we're getting more polished. The world is learning and getting smarter. You don't have to do this type of things. And I do agree to a certain extent, but I also think that there are certain times when I can't show my feelings if it's a soft feeling. And I'll give you an example. I think that people just go, no, anytime you have any level of emotion, just show it because that shows your vulnerability and it's being honest about who you are and this and that. My wife cries a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. My wife cries a lot, not because of things that I do, but she's just a crier. She'll watch, she'll watch, she'll watch a commercial about an Ethiopian kid starving and start crying. Right. Man, she cries because you spent too much time in the poker room with me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. She, she, she cries when I come back after, after my new got me on an all in three times in a row and I come back with no money. She cries. No, but if my wife is crying, our, our partners, right? And it's not only her, I cry once in a while. I cry when my dog dies. I cry when my grandmother dies. I cry uh, when I feel it's deemed necessary. I'm not against crying, but what I'm saying is that if everybody's crying, who's the rock? Who's the support? Who's the shoulder you need to, 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 to cry on? I have to be, at some point, even when, when my, my, my wife's mother died recently, she was, a, she was taking care of my son, who's an infant, for, for the first six months, seven months of his life, she had a heart problem. She was in our house. We tried to rehab her here. It was a very painful scenario watching her in a wheelchair, couldn't eat and everything. Would, it was brutal. And my wife cried every day for months, okay? I felt like crying multiple times. But if I'm crying and if everybody's crying, where is my wife's going to for, to, to, for a strong, solid rock foundation or something to, 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 to go to? And I just think that, Telling young men, especially, that to talk about their feelings all the time, it, it's, not, it's not, not quote unquote bad. Again, I'm not saying anything's good or anything's bad. But when I see kids that know how to also internalize feelings, know how to show some stoicism, mm-hmm. right? And a little bit more of internalizing my feelings, I say, yeah, that's painful. I'm going to think about it. And then I'm going to channel it in a different way that could be productive, right? I don't see too many of those school shooters that are strong, confident young men that have that practice a lot of stoicism. What you're saying see- is what, what you're saying is we need balance. That's what yeah, I'm. Yeah, you need balance. Is, is is you know, uh, or let's take mental health as a very specific example of what you're talking about, right? You know, in the '90s and the early 2000s, the conversation was on the opposite end, which was there's no such thing as mental health. Don't worry about it. You just got to buckle up and go ahead, right? And that wasn't necessarily productive. Now the conversation is, it's important to worry about your mental health. Think about your feelings. But what you're saying is, it doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. Let, how, how, let's process and then overcome. Process, overcome. Overcoming requires that stoicism, right? And processing requires admitting it's a problem, talking to people, sharing, engaging. And like, I think what you just did there in a nutshell is literally what I think we need for almost every issue is it's very hard to find almost any issue on the extreme. You got to have a balance, right? Sometimes you got to cut taxes. Sometimes you got to lower taxes. You know, sometimes you got to increase immigration. Sometimes you got to lower immigration. But to your point, these days people run around being like, 
I got the Democrat hat on. What does my guy say? This is all I'm going to do, 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 do till the end of time. Or I got my Republican hat on. This is what I'm going to do till the end of time. Well, I, I agree. And I, I don't know how to break that cycle. I don't. I mean, it's 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 obviously what you're what we're doing right here is a start. I think anytime people are sharing ideas freely and willing to talk about it without people, I mean, people are going to judge us no matter what, man. People, no matter how good of a person you are personally, there will be somebody out there that will hate you just because you're a good person. So there's no way you can please everybody, right? But what I will say is that um, <clears throat> I think moving forward. I just, I just, I think it's a, uh, it's, it's a balance, like you're saying, where I'll give you an example. I have ADD. Mm. Okay. I have, my mother never let the schools put me on back then. It was called Ritalin. It wasn't called Adderall. And they always want to put me on. I was talk at a turn, very, uh, I, I would, I would outburst in the classroom. The, parent, the teachers would always call my mom hey, your son is actually preventing kids from retaining information at school because of his outburst and because he can't sit still and he keeps talking at a turn. My mother, who was kind of like a hippie, she was cool. My mom was cool, but she was all about like, everything can be healed by like an aloe vera plant. You know, like you got a stomachache, eat this aloe vera. You got to cut, put the aloe vera. I'm like, what? What's it? You know, like that type of mom. And she said, I don't, you're not giving my son anything. It's your responsibility to deal with his personality, right? Mm -hmm. I want my son to be who he is. And I think it actually caused me a lot of problems when I was in school that I didn't take the medicine. It probably could have helped me at the time. But now that I've learned how to live without taking the medicine, I've adapted. There was, it took me years to do it, but I've adapted. And now I know not only how, my, how I do it without taking medicine and how I stay focused and how I can be successful and how I channels, challenge, channel my uh, like spare energy. Mm -hmm. I also now can identify easily the kids that are on my team that have ADD. Mm -hmm. So instead of me being extremely short with those kids or thinking that they're disrespecting me because they're at, when we're having a conversation or talking in a group setting and the kid's floating off and he's listening, but he's just kind of not watching. I don't send him to go run polls because he's disrespecting me because I can identify with that. So you have a little empathy for the other people that have been in your situation before, mm -hmm. but if I just say, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, so I don't recommend that people don't take medication for something like that. But mm -hmm. I can also tell you from personal experience that I learned myself mm -hmm. how to, to navigate life and have a pretty good life. I got a beautiful wife. I, have a, I got a cute little baby. I, 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 uh, I get to, to, to spend my life on a baseball field. I get mm -hmm. to see kids achieve their dreams. They get drafted. They go to college. I got guys in the big leagues that played for me. And so – uh, I think there's uh, the, the conversation I think is there's more than one way um, to, you know, you don't have to identify as one certain thing. You can be a, a lot, you know, you, you mm. can, you can, you can adapt. You know why uh, uh, this show is, is 60 minutes long. So everyone we were launching this thing, everybody was like, make it 15 minutes. Nobody's attention spans. Nobody can talk this long, blah, 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 blah. And the reason why I, I made this a long form thing was because, what you just said there, which is empathizing with people's mental health struggles, right? Empathizing with them, giving them some room, giving them some rope, allowing them to get better. But before that, five minutes before that, you talked about how we need to have some stoicism. We need to have some ability to overcome adversity. And our media culture operates in these 20-second clips where somebody will take that first part of you, right, and say, Ferbs doesn't care about mental health. Or you take the second part of you, 
which is that piece where you're just talking about you grew up with ADD, you overcame, you're able to empathize with the kid who's wandering off, where you're talking about showing some compassion. They clip that part and they say, Forbes doesn't care about raising strong men. All he cares about is 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 raising a bunch of goobers, right? right. And what's frustrating to me about almost everything that's happening in our politics right now and all of our conversations is and it's, it's essentially what you're asking for, which is there's like zero nuance. There's no nuance. It's extremes. The media culture inspires that. We've got 20-second attention span, so you can only take that clip. And so what we're left with is a bunch of outraged people. And I feel like there's this like outrage industrial complex that kind of like just feeds itself. And and you feed on outrage. You feed on outrage. We love consuming outrage. And it all, all you've got is a society where we're not solving any problems. And, and again, I, I just I, – I, do you does that as somebody that isn't a political pref, professional, right? As somebody that coaches baseball for a living and gets these kids to achieve their dreams in college, does that diagnosis the problem resonate with you? Like, what's your what's your take on whether or not you feel like there is this outrage machine that just prevents us from actually finding that middle ground to just execute? Yeah, well, that doesn't sell. You know what I mean? Yeah. That what you're talking about. Uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't sell. It's not, it's not, it doesn't get clicks. And I, I think that, I mean, I watch the news and I try, I swear to you, Manu, on my little, you know, news things. On your you, thinking got, monkey. On your thinking, on my mon- thinking monkey. Swear. Yeah, exactly. I get my thinking money monkey to put on. When I watch news, I watch CNN. I watch mm-hmm. Fox. I watch, uh, I try to bounce around. I get all my updates. I get Reuters. I get Al Jazeera. I get all over the world, New York Times. It doesn't matter. I like to see different people's viewpoint. But the interesting thing when I look on the news, um, and I and I because we're ingesting all this stuff, and it's like a lot of people say, "Hey, don't watch the news." That's not realistic for me. I'm not going to not watch the news. You know what I mean? Stay away from the news. It's all bad, other than sports. Yeah, but then I'm not going to be able to stay up on current events and 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 what and, and and what people are saying. So no, I have to watch it, but watch it with a filter and easy way that I look at stuff and especially I've noticed this during COVID, right? Everybody was on the news all day talking about how many people were dying, how many people were infected. You know, what I noticed was that the commercials of the news, not the news itself. Okay. The commercials, because you could talk whatever you want in that little span on that thing. And then as soon as it goes to commercial, what is it? It's either processed foods, Kraft macaroni and cheese, which I'm not a shameless plug or whatever, you know, it's prescription medication, okay, Advil, Tylenol, or, you know, some kind of uh, Prozac or, or mood stabilizer or whatever it is. These is are the commercials. Big? Right. And, 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 and then it'll show you, like, uh, everything. Uh, take this and you see the guy, like, out there living his greatest life. And then it says, this may cause death and uh, could be a <laughs> <laughs> just, You might <laughs> die. Astrid, yeah. you might die. Yeah. So when I look at this stuff, it, 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 it becomes clear is that is – that, um, 80%, it said, of the people that died from COVID, 8 out of 10 people were had problems with either obesity or with diabetes, okay, or a combination of the two. So what you're saying is that if you simply lost weight, that's it, just lost weight, you would have reduced your risk of dying from COVID, right? If you just lost weight and were operating in this realm of people over here, right? And so, but... It's interesting that it's almost as similar as, as uh, you know how Under Armour and Nike, okay, 
if Nike, if Under Armour is sponsoring you, okay, and you're an athlete, they're paying you, Manu, $50 million a year to wear Under Armour. You know that Nike has better material. You just know it's a better brand and everything else. Are you going to talk about Nike to risk your $50 million with Under Armour? Because you got the bag. You got the bag from Under Armour. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not risking my money doing that. It's the same way it looks like you, they could, if they wanted to do a every morning, get up and the whole country does a 15-minute workout. And it's a homeopathic thing where guys are working on meditation, breathing. We're going to do everybody to do a high impact workout together, all of America, right? They could have done that and it probably would cost less money. But those companies, those, those uh, uh, prescription drug companies, all these people, they don't want that. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna, and those news companies that are getting paid $100 million a year for them to run their ad in between those news segments, they're feeding. When you're watching the news, you're watching the commercials. That's the bottom line. When I look at this stuff, I always try to filter this stuff out and go, what are these people actually trying to sell me? Hmm. But I don't, and, I don't, I'm, and, and what's, I'm, what's interesting is you said, like, you flip through all the channels, you have a filter bubble, and you're not, like, wearing the red glasses or the blue glasses. You're wearing the I'm going to be an independent thinker glasses. And, and whatever you said about COVID, the fact is, like, whenever we get into some of the policy stuff, I always encourage the audience, go do the research for yourself. You know, look into what Ferbs is saying, or when we had Vivek on, or Andrew Yang, or you name it, like all these guys, they have different platforms and different ideas. It's be level-headed and think about what they're saying. Just just now, I don't know if you saw, did you see Tucker uh, interviewing Putin? Did that, did that, did you see oh, that I news? See that. I didn't see that, I so, didn't see that yet. So, so Tucker, Tucker Carlson interviewed Vladimir Putin, and he went to Russia and he interviewed him. And a video I made was, I said that, look, regardless of what you think about that, Think about it for yourself, you know, because instead of thinking about what is my red team think or blue team think, and let me make my opinion because of that. Think about each news story as an independent person and make up an opinion in that way so that you're not like following groupthink. You're following what your mind thinks. But what I want to ask you is, is there something about how you grew up, who you are, that makes you more likely to be independent oriented as opposed to, you know, a a weather vane that just blows in the direction of the wind? Is it, is it maybe having more confidence? Is it some, is it your childhood? Why do you think you're, you're that way? I mean, I'd love to be able to give you the answer to that one. Um, I know, I know that it's crazy. I was really competitive as a kid and I didn't have money, but Mm -hmm. I don't think those are mutually, I don't think that those go hand in hand. I know plenty of kids that come from the hood that are lazy. Mm-hmm. So, so there are kids from the hood that want to overcome and go, I, I want to get out of here. I want to go do things. I want to aspire to be great. And I also think it's the same way. I've seen kids that people go, oh, that kid's in town. He's got a bunch of money, right? His parents, he comes from money. So, you know, he's soft. I, I've coached kids before that their parents have fuck you type of money, lots mm-hmm. of money. Mm-hmm. And they are some of the most ultra competitive kids out there. I don't think money and, and it, like, I don't think there's a, a it's a, dependent a, on who you are as a person. Yeah, yeah. I think it's about what you find valuable in your own life and what your perspective is, what matters to you personally, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you if you, if you fall in love with a certain game or doing something and, and it really makes you feel good, I don't know. I don't think that um, money. So to answer, to, to get back to what your question is, I'm not sure if you can put, um, if you could put like metrics or data on yeah. that. It's, it's I'm just really, wondering if, if, if people can like, if there's advice you've got for people on how to be more, more willing to, to critique their own opinions, you know, be a little bit more willing to, 
uh, and I'm not perfect at this either. I mean, it's not like I'm like trying to virtue signal and be like, you know, I've got this figured out, but it's just like, I feel like at this moment, if we could help people be a little bit more open-minded and independent thinking, I think you could get a lot. I couldn't agree more. I think that, I think that if we were promoting that type of behavior, um, it would be like, but everywhere you go, I mean, think about just the school system in general, Mm -hmm. The, the things that make you, um, you know, start this podcast or do whatever it is that you want to strive for in life is kind of the opposite of in school. They teach that's it's more like individual it sit, is, there yeah. like a, sit there like a robot. Yes. No, do that. Here's the work and you do it. And it's just a blocked out system. I don't like anything, whether it's baseball training or schoolwork that people try to put it, you in a system. I don't like systems. I don't like people continue to try to put them because systems is more efficient for people to make money. Mm-hmm. If you get a system, I, I don't think that we were designed to be like that. I think that, mm. that you see it in baseball all the time that, that people try to train kids like that, like put them in a system, but we're not mechanical beings. We're not robots. We're organic. Yeah. We're made out of organic material. We're, we're, we're all individuals. Mm. Right. And we, mm. we all have our own way to perform our own way to communicate. We have our own way. Um, you know, certain people trust people faster or slower. That's one of the biggest things I want to make sure I get is that finding a way to trust people. I think what we're talking about here is how well do you trust people and, 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 and how well can you build trust with people? Me and mm-hmm. you met a couple of weeks ago, right? We've yeah. talked and we talked for like Mac, yeah. And we talked, I think, in the beginning for like only fifteen minutes or something at, at the table, and then it's just continued. Yeah, and then and then we texted back and forth, and yeah. I called, you know, and it was, but you saw some, there was something about you that was that was attracted to me, that was attracted to me, your personality, what you were talking about, and there was something that resonated with you the same way, right? But I don't think a lot of people understand how to trust people. You know, think mm-hmm. about what we do day to day. We trust all these crazy things to happen. Uh, you trust that the bank is going to hold your money. You trust it. You trust that when you drop a little piece of mail, it's your passport, dude. You need to get it renewed. I drop it in this metal box. I hope it gets there. You're trusting that the U.S. Postal Service is going to mail your stuff. That's trust. But then you see a guy on the street and you're like, oh, I don't trust that guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Why? Strange, yeah. Every time you, every time you see a stranger, right? You're walking down the street. You're interacting with your grocery. You're talking to your doorman, whatever the case might be. Um, you're talking to your neighbor. It's like there's that. I feel like we're becoming. It, we actually we did this episode, episode twelve, I think it was for um in I think it was October, where I had on this guy who's an expert on loneliness, and in fact. The U.S. Surgeon General, I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if this comes up to your kids or not. But the U.S. Surgeon General declared, you know what the national epidemic in the United States was in 2023? It wasn't diabetes or heart disease. It was loneliness, which is like, which is like, that's just weird to me. It's like we, we as a society are oddly connected through social media, and yet people feel more and more isolated. People feel less like they can trust each other. People feel like they, they, they got to be on edge. They're always judging you know, there's this, there's this desire to judge. And my entire goal with this entire platform as we build it is I want to give people insight into just having nuanced understandings of who you are, complexity about life, 
being able to understand that there's a lot more to us than just like our red, red and blue labels. So that that's basically the, the objective is trying yeah. to figure that out. I think one of the easiest ways to do that is just for, by looking, it's simple to me. It's not a complex situation. I'm looking for similarities. I'm not looking mm-hmm. for differences. If I'm looking for differences, I'm going to find them. If I look at you and I go, well, he's Indian. I'm a Puerto Rican Jew. He's got glasses. I don't. He comes from this area or this background. I don't. Then I go, oh, okay, we're different. But then yeah. I say, wow, this guy, he smiles a lot. He's got good energy. I feel like I do too. He's a, he, he likes to talk and have conversations. Or he likes to talk about cool stuff. He's well-rounded. He, he can talk about sports. He can talk about politics, talk about religion. He can just talk about poker. Okay, cool. Now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build a, this, this uh, uh, you know, rapport. It's like a right? holistic understanding of the person. Yeah. yeah. And if, I think if, if you, I, I, I was, I don't know, one of my favorite rappers back in the day was DMX. I don't know, he died, but I mean, yeah. you don't remember yeah. DMX? Do I've listened guy? to his music. I've listened to music. Yeah. yeah. He, I, saw the, I saw this interview with, he said something interesting one time in a song, or I don't know what it was, but he basically was saying that, you know, it's too, it's too much, it spends too much energy to, to, to not trust people. It, it's, it, it's, it's too much energy for me to look around and say, I'm not trusting him, I'm trusting him, I'm not trusting him. But he said, just trust people to be who they are, right? Trust them to be themselves. And I, it kind of it resonated with me to, when somebody said, just trust people to be themselves, meaning trust the snake is going to bite you. Hmm. Trust, trust that a liar is going to lie to you, right? You could, you could trust hmm. the, the, those things. Now, on the, people can change and people can do things, but I think off the bat, you want to um, – I, I want to hope that most people – off the bat, I'm going to try to trust most people first. And if they prove me wrong, then I have to make an adjustment. And sometimes I have to, I have to live with, you know, somebody stealing from you or doing something like that. That's just part of life. But just mm-hmm. because something like that happens to me, doesn't say, uh, you know, Manu um, made me feel bad one day. So anybody that looks like Manu, I'm out. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the difference that you talked about between tolerance and softness. Right. And what you're talking yeah. about is be tolerant and be willing to give people a chance. All right. I got, I got two last things for you. Uh, okay. this one's a fun one. I wasn't even thinking about asking this, but I think, I think this will be interesting. So we've had, we've had a lot of people that want to run this country stop through here. And I always want people that normally would not have the chance to talk to those people, be able to give them a message directly. And so a question that I've got for you as somebody that is an accomplished individual in your own right, and you've built a platform and you grew up through adversity and now you're doing something that you enjoy. What would you like to see in somebody running for president? And I'm not talking about ideology and stuff like that. What I'm asking you is like qualities, characteristics. What, what would you want to see in a potential president of the United States? Well, it's a good question. I think there's a few things I like to, I like to see that I relate to with people. I like um, honesty. Obviously, is a, is a, is a, a topic that I always go over with my, my my people. And sometimes honesty hurts, but being honest with with other people um, is, I think, the backbone to 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 a lot of things. I also, you know, as far as being a leader and leadership qualities. Um, <clears throat> I think leaders understand when also to apologize and to um, take accountability for things that they did or said that were um, maybe not the best at that particular point. I think good leaders know when to follow, right? And so, so um, 
I think obviously, you know, the, the, one of the things that I, I, you notice is that like everybody thinks, I think, again, like you're saying, it's all good or all bad. And these guys are good and these guys are bad. I think we need to get away from looking at a presidential candidate as he's good or he's bad. He's just another human being that has some opinions about how he thinks this country should run. Not good or bad. And, you know, just because you believe a certain way of, of, of thinking, I'm not super religious. I'm not. Mm -hmm. But just because somebody else is doesn't mean that I judge them for that or they're good or they're bad. If it's making them wake up in the morning and feel like they have purpose in their life, great. Good for you. Right. And so the, 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 I just feel like when you ask people, you know, who's, who's, who's good between Russia and, and Ukraine and who's bad. I mean, everybody says Russia's bad. Ukraine's good. It's like, really? Do you really honestly think that Zelensky or Putin or Netanyahu or Bashar or Biden or Trump or any of these people are just all good. You think that they, in order, if you're getting to that position in life where you're the leader of a country, do you think that there's no corruption involved? Do you really believe this? We're, we're looking at like Star Wars where it's the, empire, the, the evil empire versus the rebellion. This is not real. I don't you know, think there's, so. I, th th there's this theme that keeps coming up of like, of like, it, it's, extreme or extreme good or bad like it, it's this constant thing that you keep bringing up which is that there's just much more like people are just much more dimensional like it's not like i'm smart at everything or dumb at everything uh you know dude i was i was a terrible math student i sucked at math in the last nine months i picked up poker if my teacher taught me math in the way of poker i would excel at math i've oh, never yeah. done so many freaking algebraic equations because i love that game yeah. Right. But the fact is that if you looked at me in one dimension, you wouldn't just say this guy's this or that. And what I appreciate about you is like you you've again got that kind of way of thinking that I think most people have. And and again, what I got to figure out, as you said, is it's not exciting to sell in some ways. What I'm trying to sell to the country is like broccoli. It's like, you know, is good for you. Right. Whole, like talking to people is good for you. It, But it, there's that. It's got that, you know, kumbaya feel to it, right? It's, it's, it's kind of soft. And so what I got to figure out is how do you make this stuff punchy? How do you make it exciting? How do you make it interesting? And having somebody like you that has no relation to politics come on is actually my way of getting people that are in that hopeful majority to start talking and start being a little bit more vocal and loud. And so that, that's, that's my, if I laid my cards out on the table, that's basically why I was like, we got to have a conversation. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on. And again, I think to, to bring it all back to what we were talking about earlier is what is the, what's the, what's the relationship between what I do and what, like the microcosm of, of, of politics to what I do with baseball is that, you know, I don't, I don't want my players to identify as baseball players. I don't. It's just something that they do, right? It's a hobby. It's a passion. It's not who you are. You know, you, you, you're... Manu, what's your last name? Meal. Meal. You're, you're Manu like Meal. You're not. Yeah, you're. You're not. You're not a podcast. Uh, you know, host, and that's what you are. 
you do podcasts, but you're Manuel Mill. You have other interests. You have you have other passions. You have things that you enjoy doing. You have another life. And I, because what happens is when you identify yourself as this one thing and you pigeonhole yourself like that, like um, I'm a Democrat. I am a Republican. I am a baseball player. I'm a hunter. I'm a fisherman. If any of this stuff like goes away, you're left in that same block of space that you were talking about before of the loneliness stuff because I I haven't I hadn't created this well-rounded approach to life. I was super one-dimensional and now either somebody in my if I'm a Democrat public somebody in my party betrayed my thoughts and I, or I had these you know I know a lot of people you know you know the people that they grew up as one party and then mm-hmm. they had some child then they had some children where they started working in real life, they started seeing something, you know, trying to pay bills and understanding what life is. And, you know, they understand how taxes affect you, your bottom line, when you don't understand that stuff as a kid. You adapt you, you, and you're, you have to adapt to this new information. You adapt yeah. and then some people change parties. A lot of people, they go back and forth, independent or Republican or Democrat or whatever, because different stages of our life, we value different things. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I might have considered if I was 21 and I get a girl pregnant by accident, let's just say right? Yeah. by accident, I was drunk. I made a mistake, whatever it was. Right. She, you know wh- what? It could be. However, I'm just I'm just using an example. Maybe I think about having an abortion at that time. And I think that my life is going to be real because. The, the person that, that I was with was a, an extreme psychopath or I, whatever it was. And this is just a bad, bad, bad situation. Maybe I consider that. Now I'm 47. I'm more stable. I understand what's going on. I get, a, I get my wife pregnant or even if you're not married, but you have a, 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 a significant other that you've been with. You get them pregnant at that point, abortion go, I wouldn't even think about getting an abortion. No way. Same exact situation, just two different points in your life, kind of two different ages, and you value different things at those times. So, I don't know. I yeah. think that it's 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 a it's a gray area. I don't like black and white. The 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 nuance and reality of life is is far too complex to just fit into one box of thinking. And and I think you're a hundred percent right. Hey, look, I I appreciate you coming on. Um, you said that you know you have a team of baseball kids from all over the country, from the Bible Belt to Obama voters, to progressive people, to Democrats, to conservatives, you name it. And yeah. essentially, I mean, you're you're helping to to lead this cadre of what is a microcosm American, whatever they do onwards, you understand diversity and difference. And so thank you for for giving a perspective that I think a lot of people listening to this conversation would be interested in hearing that they normally don't hear. So thanks for coming on. All right. If you're gonna vote for anybody, vote for Manu. <laughs> vote for that monkey. Vote for that yeah. monkey. Thank you, Ferbs, for your time, and thank you, everybody, for listening. I so deeply appreciate your support. If you're on YouTube, leave a like, subscribe. If you're on podcasts, Apple, Spotify, leave a review because we're trying to build this hopeful majority together. It's everyday Americans like you and I that believe that we need to have nuanced, complex conversations as opposed to just having outrage run our country. And that's what we talked about in this conversation. I'll see you next Monday because the hopeful majority is going to keep building. We're going to build this together. Thank you.